Hello to our listeners and welcome to TNT ESQ. Along with my co-host, Reese Thomas, I'm Teresa Quinlan. We make up TNT. For those of you that don't know, it's our name, Thomas and Teresa. We're here to explode the status quo, because this series is all about talking with people who are helping us to think differently, so we can start doing differently. Today, we welcome Renee Smith, the founder and CEO of A Human Workplace. Renee champions a more loving human workplace where everyone is welcome to bring their whole true selves to work. Here's the thing, gang, listeners, we each need to be able to bring our whole self in order to be able to bring our very best to the toughest challenges. Renee approaches with a revolutionary and revelatory message that wins audiences around the world over to embrace love as the necessary and essential workplace practice. She engages select leaders and teams every year to challenge, inspire, and guide them back to their full humanity as the ground for an orientation to meaningful change. She has a simple, which we love, but very elegant approach and breakthrough experiences have been called uncommon and profound. She helps people discover and practice what it is to be human at work. Hang on to your headphones, listeners. This one is going to be expansive. Welcome to TNT ESQ, Renee. Thank you. Thank you. It's so great to be here. It's just a delight. Hello, listeners. This may be the first time a guest had said hello to the listeners. Wonderful. All about the love. We're all here together, right? That's right. We are. So let's dive in. Passion and obsession come from personal experiences, from what we want to have impact on, perhaps what's currently on our heart and mind and is pushing us into our own evolution. So we love to start from the space of What's your passion? What's your obsession? And where did it start from for you? Yeah. So my, my passion is about bringing love into the world. It is about normalizing, um, uh, bringing us back into connection with this essential experience um, and essential practice. It's not, just, it's not just a thing we do and it's not just a thing we feel, but it's, these are, um, love is something that we both feel and do. Um, and it's, you know, it's bringing that back into the normal human spaces where we live, where we work, helping us to, to embrace that as a day-to-day way of being. Um, we all need it. We all want it. We do our best when we're in connection with that state of being. So that's what I'm passionate about. And it started, uh, I was working in government of all places. I was working in government in the state of Washington in the Department of Enterprise Services. And I was having a conversation um, with our director, Chris Liu. Chris was an experienced leader, 40 years of experience in private sector and in public sector. And he and I were having a conversation about this culture we were trying to create in Washington state government that was really based on create an environment where people would engage in continuous improvement and learning and bringing their ideas forward and pointing out problems and making things better for, in our case, for Washingtonians. And in that conversation, I kind of eventually asked him, okay, Chris, so then, you know, in all of this, what do you think is the most important job of a leader? And it's one of those moments I'll never forget, like where, you know, I remember where I was sitting, how it felt, you know, the sound of his voice, all of that. I remember what was happening because he immediately answered to eliminate fear from the workplace. I was like, there, ah, that's it. 
that is it. That is beautiful. That is so right. Um, it resonated um, as something true, as something that I had seen him try to do and try to lead us um, in as this executive team, that when we'd done that well, really good things had happened. Right? And when we'd done that, not so well, not such good things. So it totally made sense to me. And it you know, set me into kind of digging into really reflecting on how does fear show up in our brains and our bodies? How does it manifest in workplaces? What are people experiencing and, and what are the impacts of that? But then it got me to thinking also that like it's only half the story, right? So if we're decreasing fear in the workplace, something helps to be taking its place. You know, so I started pondering that and thinking about, so what, what would that be? Talking to folks and reading a bit and all of that, and people had lots of different opinions, but at the end, I came to the conclusion that when we decrease fear, the thing that takes its place is love. That fear and love are these two primary human experiences that we have. All of the negative has its roots in fear. All of the positive has its origins in love. If we're going to decrease fear, then it has to be that we're going to increase love. And so then that was sort of the second half of my pursuit of understanding, okay, so then what happens in our brains and our bodies and our experience when we essentially feel love, when we feel safe, when we feel belonging, when we know that we matter. And it set me on this quest. I knew that some people would respond to this well. And, uh, and I kind of assumed that I would also get a lot of like, okay, you know, kind of push back. But what I discovered is a, a whole lot more moving toward this idea and a whole lot more openness and yearning and longing and positive response to this idea than one might have thought maybe a few years ago. We had, I had this epiphany in 2015 and started really pursuing it in earnest in 2017. I will say that, you know, in the beginning to speak about this. I, I did a bunch of research. I started interviewing people, collected stories about uh, fear, people's experiences of being afraid at work, and people's experiences of feeling loved at work. Analyzed those stories, got really clear on the kinds of stories that people would tell. You know, stories are a powerful way to connect people to their own stories and to universal truths. And so in the sharing of all of that, um, have managed um, to find a way to to help people get comfortable um, with the idea of um, and the practice of, of love at work. What I will say is that that's sort of like one thread, right? And in some ways it has not been hard at all. It's been like the most natural thing that I could have done. Part of that I think is like when you get an assignment from the universe, it's not difficult. You just like move into it. On the other hand, there is like some, um, some boldness required, right? To, to be at the time, you know, uh, that woman is <laughs> talking in, about love in government and now love in workplaces everywhere. And when I think back about like where that, that thread, where that origin comes from, um, we all have experiences in life that cultivate things in us and that challenge us. And as a, gosh, I was a, you know, 27, married, um, had a couple kids living in Alaska, and uh, had gone to college and then sort of dropped out, hadn't finished at the time, and followed my husband there to this other life. And um, I was making dinner one day with, you know, my kids, my husband was off doing a favor for a friend, dropping an, uh, a newspaper out of his airplane to a friend's moose camp. It was hunting season. And there was a knock at the door and my little boy ran to answer the door. And he came running back and he said, mom, there's a man with a gun at the door. And he went and hid in the pantry. And I looked out the window and there in the driveway was a police car. 
and I opened the door and the officer asked, you know, if this was where my husband lived. And I said, yes, I'm his wife. And he said, well, it, there's been an accident. Um, his plane crashed. He's in the hospital in Anchorage and you need to get your things and go. There's a plane waiting for you at the airport. You need to go. And so, you know, grab some things. And they took me, you know, to this plane that took me to a car that took me to the hospital where I found my husband unconscious and um, in a coma with a severe traumatic brain injury and a completely uncertain prognosis. Um, he was in a coma for three weeks and in the hospital for a couple months and life was never the same. You know, I had to like live into that situation of kind of ending up being married to someone who in the end was sort of like a teenager in, in my estimation, you know, kind of in our interaction. and. I'm um, trying to live into those promises, trying to, you know, move forward, accept that this was what life was and feeling like I had an assignment, you know, to live into that. And, um, but eventually, you know, had a couple more children and tried to carry on, but eventually after eight years felt released to step forward and you know, things happen as they do. Um, um, eventually felt released to go forward and to make a new life um, and to go back to school with four kids and, you know, all, all of the things and get my master's and move on. But in all of that, like the thread of that was one, being able to do hard things, right? There's, there's these moments that teach us that we can do hard things. And there's the process of stepping forward into the world and reclaiming voice, you know, um, all those years later and reclaiming like what my assignment was in the world and my picking that back up again and feeling like, like I've got lots of time to make up for, right? And, and so there's like no bashfulness really anymore then or no hesitance. Um, there's a boldness that comes from sort of having faced those really dark, hard times. And then the conviction that when something is handed to you to do that you just do it and there's, there's no hesitance. So those are a couple threads that uh, weave together and I think, you know, facing the fear of that too, there's a certain insight about human nature and, and struggle that came from all of that, that definitely sort of infuses what I do now. Thank you so much for you know, being so honest and, and, and vulnerable with that story. You know, obviously the first one, it makes perfect sense. And, you know, for me, I, I, I'm a big advocate of love in the workplace or you know, increasing compassion, these kind of things in the work that I do and well, conscious leadership. And, you know, for me, yes, the, the fear, the flip side to that is, is the love. And I can, I can understand there must have been many, uh, everyone can associate with the feeling of fear and, and the, the, the need to remove it. But I can imagine that far fewer people are comfortable, probably deep in their heart, they, they know it, but they're less comfortable acknowledging that, that, you know, let's just get rid of the fear and that'll solve the problem. It's like, well, that's just the first step. You know, once you've done that, then you can in increase the, the love and then see how that will help, you know, boost everyone's performance. And then, you know, to, to hear you share that story about your, your personal situation, it really made me reflect on the, the dichotomy of the two with the fear and, and the love. And, you know, you obviously must have felt, faced a lot of fear and you've had to kind of, you know, lean into that and be brave, like you say, find your voice and, you know, step out from that role that you uh, assigned to yourself. You did that by, you know, loving yourself. So, so there's that loving of yourself that led you to follow that path and your purpose. And that's just, just, you know, grown exponentially through your work. And then to see how that love has made an impact on you and then in your family, but then also in your, your team and your, your workplace uh, organization. Mm -hmm.
being able to see the potential that that would have for so many more people who you know, we, we get lots of people on this story and they share their aha moments and and you know sorry to say that they usually come from a, a traumatic experience or some kind of loss or something you know for myself it's the same but uh, and that causes you to spurs you on to you know live that real life you know you suddenly you find your purpose through a disappointment or you know a, a loss mm. and i'm interested to know how this idea of loving yourself transmuted itself into how you could help other people love themselves love each other and then embracing love in the workplace because i know you know we talk about caring we're talking about connection we can talk about you know acceptance we can talk about inclusivity cognitive diversity all these kind of things these labels that we use to make what we're really talking about more acceptable. How did you find that transition? You know, you had this unwilling purpose in your heart from your experience and getting that out onto paper and into people's hearts and into their ears and into their minds is a real purpose and it is a real calling. And I'm interested to know how you expanded upon that and then created this amazing community, which how has that happened? <laughs> Sorry. That's all. That's, that's the, <laughs> there's a lot of packed into there. Whoops. Sorry. Right. Yeah. yeah I'll, um, Carried away. <laughs> yeah, no, it's good. I'll, um, you can help me remember if there's parts that I've forgotten. When I think back to the finding my voice, finding my way again, that came really because of concern for my children. I had, I had become so desensitized to my own needs and it really was about, you know, everyone else at that point. So much so that when I, you know, a friend and I um, went out for an afternoon just to, you know, go for a drive and go eat somewhere. And she turned to me and said, so where do you want to go eat? And I had no idea. I had no opinion, right? I had no sense of what my preferences were or what I, I don't know, where do, where do you want it? My life is all about figuring out what everybody else wants and making sure that happens. And so um, initially the choice to step away from my marriage um, was about protecting my children and getting out of a dissonant situation for them. And it was only after making that step that I had enough room to realize, oh, this is for me too, right? And find my way into the healing that needed to happen to rediscover you know, who I was and what I'd loved all those years before and you know, find the path back to those things. So, um, it was gradual, you know, and the universe was kind enough to let me make some incremental steps toward that. You know, there was somewhere along the way in graduate school, you know, we did an executive style program through Pepperdine where we would travel, you know, once a quarter for eight days and be in residence and, you know, thought leaders and the, the writers of all the books and the speakers of all the amazing thoughts and everything would come and be in residence with us in, in a place in the world. Um, and so it wasn't just being in a classroom, but it was like being at the breakfast, lunch, or dinner table or around the fire afterwards um, and having conversation and realizing, having that moment of realizing, oh, I can contribute to this conversation. I have, you know, something to say and, um, and this, you know, we can engage in meaningful exchange and I can add a new thought to the, you know, the person that wrote the book is interested in what I'm saying. And as someone, you know, coming from the situation that I come from, that was also revelatory. It was a healing thing. Um, and so, you know, that's the gradual steps of moving forward into that until, um, I don't know, along the way, somehow it, there's, it's a becoming, right? It's a becoming who we are to be. Um, and so now, you know, many years later, um, yeah, there's just not even a question. I don't know how to, how to describe it. Um, but as this, as I had this insight about fear and love, and I, I think part of it was like seeing how people responded, seeing um, the 
gosh, the pain that people were in and, and they are in. And um, when people like grasp that this isn't woo woo, you know, this isn't a bunch of fluff. This is about deeply connecting to who we're meant to be as human beings and being able to be our full true selves, not having to put two thirds of ourselves aside, only be intellectual and not be sensing and feeling beings, but being fully integrated beings. And when people realize that good news, that's how we're going to do our best work, right? That's how we're going to bring what we have to bring. That's how we're going to get the most from a team. That's how we're going to produce the best results that we don't have to choose between being fully human and delivering results. In fact, we better not. If we do, we're going to miss out. And so when, you know, it's, it's a joyful thing to bring that, um, that insight and to, um, to deliver that good news to people and to see them light up, to see them relax and to see, you know, people who, people who further along in their careers, oftentimes it's sort of an, an older, oftentimes an older white man who will come forward with a bit of grief to say, you know, in, I've worked 30 years and I've never felt loved mm. or maybe only, you know, just a tiny bit of that few times I can think of where I felt like I was cared about, but having to just like slog through life for, you know, decades. Um, and, and to have them, you know, I've had people say, I wish I would have known this all these years ago, or I wish I could have worked this way all these years ago. That's really compelling. And it, that stirs me to push in because we don't need generations of people working and living that way. Um, especially now they need it to be different. So they need it to be different. Mm -hmm. Renee, we don't have, uh, pre-recorded soundtracks. So mm -hmm. in a minute. I'm going to request that we create a clap track. So just be ready with your, with your instrument hands for the clap track. Okay. And one of the things that you had mentioned was when you brought this forward and said, you know, love in the workplace and connection in the workplace and love and connection and humanity in the workplace, that the people you were talking to, the majority of them were like, yes because the feeling of desperation of wanting it so badly and just not knowing, can I ask for it? I don't know how to ask for it. Can I create it? And a very small percentage going, mm, no, that's uncomfortable. I don't want that. Yeah. Even though if we hung with those people a little bit, they'd probably come around to, oh yeah, that's a good idea. Yeah. That when you approached it, mm -hmm. what I think is necessary for our audience to hear is, they don't have to be afraid to ask for it because what you're telling us is in all of the work and the research is when you ask for it, people will say yes. So this is where we go. <laughs> Yay. We did a lot. Yay. Yeah, our clap track. That was great. We can release that sense of fear around asking for a connection, love and humanity in the workplace, knowing that, the majority of people that are in our workplace want it anyways, and they just don't know how to go about doing it. And so to be able to stand in just even a smidgen, you don't need a lot of boldness for this, a smidgen of boldness to ask for it, be the first one who asks for it. If you don't want to be the first one, don't be the first one. Ask a couple people in your own private, you know, circle of friends that you have at work and say, would you be willing, would you want to? And, you know, then you have like a, a small little army, then be bold with them and step forward and ask for it. There are different ways of going about making it happen without needing to be a maverick in it. Yes, yes. 
I would and, agree. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Okay. And so my question is around when we go at it, mm -hmm. you know, so far we've heard this sort of logical approach of remove the fear, then insert the love. I'm wondering, can we tackle it from both? Can we start inserting love and the fear goes away and we remove points of fear and the love comes in? Like, can we do it from both ends? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. It, 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 it isn't a linear thing, right? This is all circular. <laughs> it's all, all at the same time for sure. Um, and I, you know, I would say too, like there, I have a way of kind of, um, like bringing people through their fear about this um, and, and settling, helping people settle into, oh, okay, you didn't mean all of this, like I thought you were going to mean these things and bunnies and rainbows and whatever, um, but, but really you meant, you meant respect, trust, kindness, empathy, um, compassion, appreciation, challenge, right? Um, all these different ways that love shows up, right? In professional settings that we absolutely want and need. And I think what's important is that we understand that. Um, so when I ask people, tell me a story about a time when you felt loved at work, people told me three stories. My leader loved me. My team was like a loving, healthy family. Um, and I was supported in a personal crisis, right? And those, the, how those different, you know, my team, like me, my, my team, my leader in a, this personal crisis, how um, like the essence of those experiences had to do with respect, trust, kindness, empathy, mm -hmm. um, appreciation, and so on. Um, and those are all incredibly doable. Mm -hmm. Like there's, there's, there's there, the things that we all want day to day um, and they're, they're all doable. And so, yes, we can ask for them. We could, we could ask for what we need for sure. And we can begin to intervene in, you know, in our system as a, if you will, um, by beginning to just give that, right. We can change the system by showing up differently. Is that, is that why you say love is an essential experience and practice? Because we need to receive yeah. and feel it, but we also need to demonstrate it. Right. Yes, exactly. It's, it's definitely, you know, it's an action. Um, mm -hmm. we, you know, we can't just be, you know, an idea. Um, mm -hmm. Love is a verb. We, we do, we can do loving things to and for each other and we can receive loving actions from each other. And though it is not just an action. It is also a feeling, right? It is also a human emotional experience. It's a sensory experience. So, um, you know, we're, we're pretty fond in the West of being, of intellectualizing everything. Um, and, and, you know, we kind of want to put the emotion, put the heart away, um, you know, especially professionally anyway, we want to sort of, yeah, that there's that emotion stuff, but let's manage it and put it over here. And, um, you know, so out of touch with our bodies generally, like, you know, not aware of how something might be moving through us or, you know, physical sensation. All of that is data. All of that's information. All of that is human experience, right? And so, um, you know, I, we need to be uh, moving in all of the aspects of ourselves, um, both in the receiving side and in the giving side. So, before cool. Reese asks his question and takes us yeah. to the moon, <laughs> something, I love that you called it love is a verb. And what I thought about was when my son was learning, you know, English language grammar in school, they learned a song associated with verbs. And it goes like this, a verb is a word, it's an action word, you can feel it, you could see it, you could do it, it's a verb. <laughs> <laughs> That's perfect. You can see it and feel it and do it with love, we're on track. Yeah, so you can substitute um, 
love instead of verb, right? Yeah. <laughs> love, love is a, I don't, I, you have to, I, I don't track with exactly what you just said, but if you just substituted love in there instead of the word verb, That's that right. would be perfect. Yeah, <laughs> I like that. Thank you. <laughs> awesome. Thank you. Um, yeah, so I love what you're saying there. I love the idea that, you know, love is something that kind of innately happens. It, it's already there. It's, it's already present. It's not something you have to pickaxe into your conversation or, you know, physically insert into a team meeting. It's something that uh, will, if you allow it and give it space, will, you know, percolate and, and come to the surface. You just need to remove those things that are kind of limiting it. Uh, and one of those, obviously, the fear. But before we run out of time, I wanted to ask one quick question because, you know, in the workplace, the phrase in the work, in workplace has taken on so many different meanings in the last five, six months. I know that you've had to really kind of change your, your setup from, from the in-person and you've gone virtual. And I wanted to know whether the virtual world that we're working in and living with now makes this idea easier, more acceptable, or, or has it been an extra hurdle to, to overcome? In your experience. Great question. Mm, yeah, that is a great question. You know, I decided in December to leave um, the governor's office and come um, into private work um, and made March 2nd my last day, which was in, you know, I'm here in the Puget Sound area near Seattle. So things were hitting right when I was coming into private sector. Um, and it couldn't have been a better time um, because everything that I was coming home, home to, so to speak, to do was about outreach to the world, to you know, train people to be hosts around the world, to reach into communities and help people to, as we say, discover and practice what it is to be human at work in these gatherings, in-person gatherings, um, and immediately able to pivot. Uh, you know, the pivot has been the thing, but like literally by March 6th, it was clear we're not meeting in person anywhere anytime soon. And by March 13th, we'd prototyped and, um, and we're, you know, had started um, meeting virtually. And, and I think within like two months, we held 60 gatherings um, with people from all over the world. What we ended up doing um, was I got with a couple partners and we designed to speak to the need that people had, which is we're being sent home suddenly without any change management, um, we're afraid because of, you know, pandemic um, was happening at this point. It was just the pandemic. Can we say that? Just the pandemic. It wasn't all the other things that have happened, you know. What we discovered was that with a bit of thought and attention to what was happening to people in this moment, like really sensing and tuning in to the need that people were experiencing, that we could absolutely create in a virtual space a deep experience of human connection and, but it did require stripping some things away, keeping it simple. Um, it required helping people to come into the present moment. So we always do a breathing exercise. We use music. We often use poetry, which I would do in, the, um, uh, in an in-person space as well, actually. But um, it was even more needful. So, um, you know, helping people to slow down and to come into presence. And then as fast as we could <laughs> in getting people into connected conversation, into um, breakout conversations, always use uninterrupted sharing and generous listening. So people aren't having a dialogue. You get to talk for five minutes about what's happening for you, your answer to the question, and then Teresa, and, you know, supporting each other. And so we ended up, you know, as time went along and we would, you know, do a series of breakouts and then usually some chatting about our hopes at the end, and we kind of formulated this very succinct but spacious experience for people to have to, to powerfully connect. 
the, the need to like not overbuild and to allow people to be together was essential. Like one of the things that we found is that people, you know, talking to strangers, people were coming from all over the world into these spaces who'd never met before. And we're asking them to tell, you know, tell your story of what's mm -hmm. happening for you right now. Like what's going on in this, you know, in the pandemic and, you know, what's your situation? What are you doing to take care of yourself? Um, what else do you need? Talk about your hopes. And in all of that, people would, you know, the need was so strong there that people would immediately, like they'd launch in and, and mm -hmm. share, you know, because the, of the need and because, you know, we're creating a, a space, a container for people to do that. So we noticed the same in the Humans First conversations during that front end of the experience and the depths of yeah. the despair, the loss, the grief, the fear. It, just, it seemed like it was the perfect storm of emotions that if you gave me the space and let me talk about it, oh, I feel so much better. So then I get to go and do better in my environments and with the people that I'm around. You know, in your, in your introduction, we, we mentioned that the work that you do takes an elegant, simplistic approach. And what I heard you just say was that I think anyone listening can pick up and start doing, even though we're not asking you for your hashtag yet, but I want this one to make sure people hear it is that uninterrupted listening is so insanely powerful yes. to validate and feel heard and then ending on talking about your hopes mm -hmm. so I can express where I feel hopeless. Mm -hmm. If I leave it there, I leave with hopeless as a feeling. Right. If I get opportunity to say, okay, where do your hopes lie? Not are you hopeful because that's yes, no, but where do they lie? and forcing people to look because they are there. Even right. if the hope is I'm still breathing, which means I got something in me left, that then that's the glimmer that we mm -hmm. always need to be able to go, oh, here's some momentum, I can pick that up. I'm not forgetting that things are tough. I mean, something you had said earlier was there's work in the hard things. Yes, I'm just loving this package that you're painting for mm -hmm. us that is so elegant and eloquent and simplistic and yet extremely powerful in its application. You know, I'm, thank you. And I'm a big believer that, um, we, and, and actually this started a couple years ago when we were in person and by need, um, the design of the two hour times that we would have, we do an hour and a half now in the Zoom space, but the design of our gatherings was such that we sort, were sort of flipping on its head what I would call sort of a white dominant culture model, frankly, that is time bound, that is expert focused. We come into a room, we sit by each other, we might have an icebreaker to get to know each other, but really none of that is, um, is the purpose of me being here. The purpose of me being here is for me, for what I'm to get from that expert. And they darn well better give me everything they can cram into this time. Tell, you know, all your slides, tell me all your information and, you know, and the pressure is on the expert to like fill this time, right? Well, I'm sorry, but we, I'd be lucky in, in those spaces. You know, any of us is lucky if we come away really remembering or like totally apprehending and integrating any of that mm -hmm. into any of the being told stuff, right? It's such, a, it's such an old way of thinking that we're learning. We're not learning, we're hearing. I'm hearing your expertise, right? But I'm not really apprehending it. I'm not really integrating it and making it my own. And, you know, 
it, it's, you know, it's linear, it's, it, it's, um, it's urgent. I, I, I like to say like we bring our whole bushel of apples and it's like we're trying to make you eat my whole bushel of apples here. Here it is and I'm gonna force feed you all this. And instead, um, by need, we actually turned that on, on its head. And, and the need was that we were holding um, human workplace gatherings that were on um, diversity and on inclusion. And so we had like 60 to 80 people who were coming at a time, about a third new every time. And the question was, what can we do in two hours that will be helpful with this like whole range of, um, of folks, some who would be experienced DEI travelers, if you will, and others who would be you know, interested, but like totally um, uninitiated. And so we figured out that number one, we had to build relationship. We had to invest heavily in building relationship in the room. So we would spend a good half hour connecting people when they came into the room because, again, turning that model upside down, we're essential to each other's learning. It's not, you know, the fact that you and I are here isn't, sec you know, isn't like happenstance or you know, isn't like just um, irrelevant. We are totally relevant to each other in this space. And so we need to be connected. We need to be developing trust so that we can learn together because over the course of the next two hours, we're essential to each other. So we're gonna invest in learning. So in that two hours, a half an hour spent connecting, right, meaningfully. And then um, any teaching segment, whatever the topic might be on, so the, a, a teaching on diversity or a teaching on inclusion or on any of the other topics, this came to be true for any topic that we were bringing forward. Only 15 minutes in a two hour period very, very limited, like very restrained on the part of whoever is the expert or the host or who's ever bringing the content. Mm -hmm. I would liken it to, we're only going to give you a bite of the apple, right? And that bite of the apple though, you're going to get to taste it and chew it and swallow it and be nourished by it. And I'm not going to force feed you the whole dang bushel because you are not able to digest all that, right? Mm -hmm. I'd rather have you take one good bite and really get it, really, really, you know, take it in um, then I'll, you know, then the other way around. So um, we, you know, would offer that one good bite. And then we would spend, what, 75 minutes or something um, with reflection, skill practice, dialogue, and, you know, paired conversations or like whole room conversations with the assumption that everyone in that room has wisdom to bring forward, has insight, has a contribution to make. And what we, we knew that we would get it right, you know, in this format, like that we'd hit the sweet spot when we never heard ourselves saying what I, you know, when I was hosting or if I had a co-host when um, no one was saying, I'm sorry, we've got to cut you off now and go on to the next thing. If we were saying that, then we'd overbuilt it, right? We'd get tried to cram too much in. And we also knew that we got it wrong when people were saying, you didn't give us, uh, uh, given us enough time on that question. We need more time. Okay, so that tell, that's a clue, like we got to slow down. The slowing down is the point. That format that we really embraced and got good at in, in the physical space when we're face-to-face -face now follows us into and we utilize a version of that in the virtual space. Um, I think we desperately need right now um, a more restrained, elegant, simpler way of coming together, um, whether it's learning or, you know, engaging or just supporting each other and to give people room to breathe, mm. literally to breathe, mm. to hear each other, to maybe to be silent, to share and to ponder, to try something, to circle back. 
our, our nervous systems are vibrating at such high levels of anxiety right now that it's a gift to allow that. But it does take leaders who are going to be more foresight or, you know, who are going to see this and not like be kind of triggered on that. This is the usual way. Like I got to know that we've got the 10 things that we're going to do in the checklist. And by the end of the however many weeks or the series or whatever, what are the, show me the things, you know, my goodness, how about we just like do a few things and do them really well and really integrate them and really know that on our team, we embody these, like, give me that. Right. Mm -hmm. And I want to work with leaders who want that. Wow. Just, just fabulous. I mean, we, we usually like to, uh, that was so refreshing to hear and it really resonates with me and I'm sure it does with Teresa and I hope with our listeners, but um, we like to ask you to finish with a golden nugget. You share some wisdom, but you know, quite frankly, I think you just delivered the whole thought <laughs> there. So I don't think we need to, to, to go over that anymore. That so many, so many brilliant things. There. And it just remind me of, you know, you, you mentioned engagement there. And when I was saying, it, yeah, you don't need to overcomplicate. You don't need, you don't need to have this assumption that this is what in-person looks like. This is what virtual looks like. How do I make them two work together? How do I shift the just remove all of that stuff and just do like you said it's, it comes down to engagement because you can have people in a live a live audience who you know they're not taking any interest they're not engaged they're not going to have any um, realizations and then equally so in a virtual world so it reminded me of the coaching sort of relationship that you build you know you're creating that space you're holding space for someone you're, you're generating that trust and, and relationship all the things that you've mentioned and it's from that that everything else comes and it, it grows organically from that, and, and like I said before, the, these various things are just there in, in the present moment already, if you allow them to kind of filter through into, into your thinking, into your heart, or it was really refreshing to hear that. You know, I hope everyone in the leadership position is thinking about this and, and, and open to this and awake to this idea that you don't need to overcomplicate it. You know, appreciative listening, generative listening, deep listening, whatever you want to call it, but it's such an important thing for leaders to, to grasp. But, um, Thank you so much for sharing all those things. I, I know people are going to want to know how to get in touch with you, Renee. So how, how can people find out more about you and, and the work that you're doing? Yeah, so thank you so much. I'm glad that that resonated. That means a lot to me. Um, uh, they can reach me at Renee at makeworkmorehuman.com. A Human Workplace is the name of our organization. So it's a humanworkplace.com or makeworkmorehuman.com. Both will lead to the same place. Awesome. Okay, so now we'd always like to finish the show with a bit of fun. It's the rapid fire Q and A. It's the bit you are <laughs> unsure about, but um, <laughs> it will be gentle. You know, we will create the safe space okay. for you. We just want to listen to, to your answers, whatever comes up. So, ten statements, two choices. Interpret it as suits you. Are you ready? I'm ready. Bring it. Fantastic. <laughs> number one, manager or leader? Leader. Uh, number two, active or reactive? Active. Uh, number three, black and white or gray? Ooh. I'm going to go black and white. Uh, number four, optimist or realist? Optimist. Uh, number five, Canada or England? Canada. I've been all over Canada. I love Canada. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, number six, heart or head? Heart. Uh, number seven, empathy or assertiveness? Empathy. Uh, number eight, introvert or extrovert? Introvert. Number nine, logical or emotional? Emotional. And uh, number 10, innovation or process? Innovation. Fabulous. Thank you so much. I really appreciate <laughs> you coming in and having fun there. But most importantly, sharing so much amazing stuff about the importance of, you know, 
uh, being brave, reclaiming your voice, leaning into your, your assignment from the universe, answering that call, you know, having boldness to speak about love in the workplace, embracing and working with love. And, and you know, it, it's something that um, I love. I know Teresa does as well. And I hope that the, the listeners will have uh, learned so much from that. Thank you very much, Renee. My pleasure. Thank you both. It's been a lot of fun. And, and thank you, listeners, for listening. <laughs> I'm going to continue to buzz with an assignment from the universe makes it easy to step into boldness. Yeah. Thank you so much. We love to hear all of your feedback here on TNT ESQ. So if you've enjoyed this show, you've learned something, you've been inspired, please share it with your friends. Please rate the show. Please write a review on whichever podcast uh, platform you enjoyed it on to help us spread the word, help more people think differently and more people start doing differently. Thank you.